Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. We begin tonight with new evidence that the Republican Party is now the party of Donald Trump. In a moment, we'll speak to Republican South Carolina Congressman Mark Sanford, who lost his primary battle last night after President Trump encouraged voters to go to the polls for his Republican opponent. Until last night, GOP primaries, uh, Congressman Sanford had never lost an election. And as a rule, incumbents usually do not lose primaries. But last night, Mark Sanford did. As a rule, sitting presidents to, do not endorse the primary opponent of an incumbent, even when that incumbent has uh, disagreed with him on statements. Yesterday afternoon, this president did just that on Twitter, of course, saying Mark Sanford has been very unhelpful to me in my campaign to make America great again. He is MIA and nothing but trouble. He is better off in Argentina. I fully endorse Katie Arrington for Congress in South Carolina, a state I love. She's tough on crime and will continue our fight to lower taxes. Vote Katie. And people did in South Carolina enough to give her the nomination. And Congressman Sanford has no apologies. It may have cost me an election in this case, but I stand by every one of those decisions to disagree with the president. Well, Congressman Sanford is not alone in criticizing the president and paying a price for it, nor is he the only incumbent. He's not even the only incumbent this month. Last week, Alabama Congresswoman Martha Roby was forced into a runoff. She, too, has spoken out against the president, most notably after the Access Hollywood tape was released. Other Republicans have chosen to leave Congress rather than face tough primaries. And it's hard to overstate this. Incumbent, well-known, frequently influential House members and senators almost never just bow out like this, especially when their own party is in power. These days, however, they do. Congressman Charlie Dent did. He also joins us shortly. Senators Jeff Flake and Bob Corker are leaving. Senator Corker chairs the exceedingly powerful Foreign Relations Committee, yet he is giving it up, but not without a parting shot. We're in a strange place. I mean, it's almost, uh, uh, you know, been a, it's becoming a cultish thing, isn't it? It's not a good place for any party to, to end up with a cult-like situation as it relates to, uh, to, to a president that uh, happens to be of purportedly of the, of the same party. A cult-like situation, he calls it, purportedly of the same party, he said. Senator Flake was even blunter, quote, if you want to win a Republican primary, he said, you can't deviate much from the script. It's the president's script. So if that script leaves no room for long, long-time staunch conservatives like Jeff Flake, the question is, who does it favor? Well, for one, candidates like the Republican primary winner last night in Virginia, Corey Stewart, whose victory was praised by the president. The president tweeted out, congratulations to Corey Stewart, he said, for his great victory for senator from Virginia. Now he runs against a total stiff, Tim Kaine, who is weak on crime and borders and wants to raise your taxes through the roof. Don't underestimate Corey, a major chance of winning. A win or lose, Corey Stewart is not a corker or flake Republican, certainly not by a long shot. 
On the neo-Nazi white supremacist protests in Charlottesville that left a woman dead, Stewart told a Washington radio station, quote, people condemned all those far-right agitators, but no one seemed to condemn the left wing. Clearly, half of that violence was committed by left-wingers. Now, the head of the Republican Senate campaign committee was cool when asked about endorsing Corey Stewart, saying his focus is on other states. But given the president's support, you have to wonder if that may change. It is certainly being viewed as a sign of the times by some Republicans. Virginia's former lieutenant governor, uh, for one, Bill uh, Balling, a Republican, who says, this is clearly not the Republican Party I once knew, loved, and proudly served. Joining us now is South Carolina Republican Congressman Mark Sanford. Congressman, thanks very much for, for being with us. Do, do you think President Trump weighing in as he did cost you your seat in Congress? Well, I, I think not necessarily the tweet at the end, but the larger um, playing field, if you will, that the, the race devolved down to. And that was, are you for Trump or are you against Trump? And my message was a message of much more gray, which is to say, I support Trump on many ideas that are consistent with the conservative ideals that I've held for a long time or the views of, of the folks that I represent. And I oppose on, on the ones that I don't. I think that that well, kind of approach, that nuanced approach, if you will, it was an awfully difficult message as it proved last night to convey in, in, in this particular primary. Yeah, I mean, your, your, your opponent certainly ran uh, with a full-throated uh, support for the president. I just want to play for our viewers uh, an ad that, that Katie Arrington ran during, uh, during the campaign and then talk about it. We'll be right back. Let's just listen. I'm a conservative businesswoman, and I'm running for Congress to get things done, not to go on CNN to bash President Trump. I'll cut spending, strengthen our military, and get rid of the career politicians. Bless his heart. But it's time for Mark Sanford to take a hike, for real this time. I mean, your voting record actually was overwhelming in support of the president's agenda, but, but what the president seems to have been annoyed by is that you dared criticize him publicly in some of the things he said and, and, and did. Do you think any Republican today can remain in office if they speak up in the way that you did that is critical of the president from time to time? I think it's important we do so. I mean, the founding fathers were so intentional about creating three branches of government, uh, executive, judicial, and legislative branch, each of which were to be a check upon the other. They didn't want to have a king. And so I think it's important that we have vigorous dissent. I went to business school and would throw an idea out in the middle of the table, we'd debate it back and forth, and hopefully the truth fell out at the bottom. You know, it is okay to disagree. I love my brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean I agree with them all the time. And what's interesting is my voting record has been 89% with the president. And, and therefore, to send a tweet out saying not supportive, A, not true, but B, goes to this larger well, texture. Do we I want to have a litmus test or do we want to have folks that agree with us 80, 90% of the time and say you're on the team? That's, that's, that's a distinction I've never seen before within the Republican Party of which I'm a part. So when you, I mean, you clearly, you know, when you were out uh, on the campaign trail and you would try to get that message across to voters in South Carolina, I, I'm assuming they just, not enough of them really saw the difference or wanted to hear the difference. Yeah, I mean, again, it was a, a, a tight uh, win-loss, about 3,000 vote margin. But, but the, the bigger point is, in the case of my opponent, they'd raised taxes very substantially. And yet that didn't matter. And I have, as you well know, a very conservative voting record. Some would like it, some wouldn't. But conservatives in a Republican primary generally would. And that didn't matter. What mattered was, are you for or against the president? And again, when you attempt this answer of, well, I'm neither for him nor against him, 
him. I'm for him in the instances wherein he's consistent with conservative ideology and the promises I made when I ran for office and the vote use of my voters. And then I'll be occasionally against him when he's not. That was a message that didn't sell in a Republican primary. And that's the bigger thing that I think we've all got to question, whether in a Republican or a Democratic primary, based on the institutions of the American system. Yeah, I mean, former Speaker John Boehner recently said uh, there's no Republican Party. There's a Trump Party. The Republican Party is kind of taking a nap somewhere. That's what, uh, according to Boehner. I mean, you were governor of South Carolina, as you said. You've got an incredible, you know, very conservative record. At one point, you were presidential hopeful for the, for the Republican Party. Is Boehner right? Or, or, I mean, has the Republican Party left you and others behind for President Trump? Or what is... Where Time is will the tell. Republican Party? Time will tell. I mean, that was uh, the statement of my opponent last night. This is the party of Donald J. Trump. And I could not more vigorously disagree. It's the party of the people who've worked to bring it about over years. There are a lot of working folks in every state in this country that have put up yard signs and they've licked envelopes and done all the things that you do in the world of politics to advance the ideas that you believe in. And that's who the party belongs to. And this notion of it belonging to anybody at the top is an inverted pyramid based on, the, again, the design of the founding fathers, wherein a few powers were to be reserved at the top, but everything else at the state and local level, and again, particularly with Republicans who have espoused that notion of federalism for a long time. So we're just in a very weird place that I've never seen before. And uh, in the case of last night, it cost me an election. So is the Republican Party now the party of Trump? Again, that's what many are saying. That's what my opponent was saying last night. It will but be, you don't buy that. Uh, it, it, it's not something I buy into, and it's not something many of the people that voted. It was, again, roughly a 50-50 vote last night. Many of the people in the 1st District of South Carolina disagree with. Again, they can agree with the, the, the frustration with Washington that led to the Trump phenomenon. But the idea of simply taking a sort of a hostile takeover of the party and saying it's my party now is at odds with many of the core beliefs of some of the people who've worked hardest to build it over the years, whether on the coast of South Carolina or elsewhere in this country. Do you worry? Uh, I mean, obviously, the president is very popular among among Republicans. Do you worry, though, about uh, about this becoming the, the Republican Party, becoming the party of, of Donald Trump in, in many Republicans' estimation? Do you worry about where that leaves the Republican Party down the road? Yeah, I do, because not only do we have questions of the institutions that our founding fathers left with us, designed to foster vigorous debate amongst the, the inter-party rivals of legislative and executive and judicial branches, but there's also a big question, to your point, of party, which is, are we the party of less spending? Uh, you know, not just lower taxes, but less spending. You know, are we the party of engagement with the rest of the world? Are we the party of, of, of open trade? Are we going to pull away? I, you mentioned this last night. Not pulling away is particularly important given the fact that we're about 5% of the world. 95% of what happens happens elsewhere in the world. And to pull away, I mean, so there are just some big litmus tests out there that we seem to be failing as a party. And I think we're going to have a real debate on what we're indeed about. Are we the party of Donald J. Trump or are we the party of the ideals of conservative philosophy, market principle, limited government that we've always been about for a long time? Use the term hostile takeover. Do you see this as a hostile takeover? Uh, I wouldn't say it's hostile. It's, again, all's fair in love and war, I guess, and politics do. So it is what it is. Um, it's certainly, as with any presidency, the president's the titular head of the party. What I would say, though, is it has never in my lifetime been so tied to an individual personality 
and, and a litmus test of are you completely compliant and uh, are, are, you know, are you on board with me as a person as opposed to are you on board with the ideals that this party is based on? I've never seen that particular wrinkle as I'm seeing it now. Mm. Congressman Sanford, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Joining us now, former uh, Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Charlie Den. He left in May. Also with us, CNN political director David Chalian to help talk about why President Trump wheels the clout he does, especially during primary season. Congressman Den, uh, you said earlier today you, you do not think it's a cultish thing, which is what uh, Bob Corker had, had kind of referenced with this president and the Republican Party. Um, can you just explain why you disagree, I guess, with Corker on that, that you don't think it rises to that level? Or if you th- do you think it's headed in that direction? Well, I, yeah, I didn't like the uh, hyperbolic nature of that statement. But I do agree with the general notion that there is a litmus test in the Republican Party now, and it is loyalty to the man, loyalty to the president. I've been saying this uh, for months. Uh, prior to Donald Trump, Anderson, we should remember that we often had these purity tests within the Republican Party, and we had these self-designated chiefs of the purity police who would judge you. And if you weren't sufficiently pure, they would call you a rhino or a squish, which people like me were often called that because we weren't uh, sufficiently doctrinaire. Well, now here comes Donald Trump, who's largely transactional, who's not, pretty non-ideological. Uh, and uh, now these, are, these people are flummoxed, these, these purity police, these purity cops. But the issue right now is uh, it's loyalty to the president. So if you disagree with him or if you criticize him, you're seen as uh, somewhat of, of a traitor or, or treasonous. By the same token, on the left, you know, I see Democrats complain, too. I mean, they, they, have, they have to be total resistance or they're, they're not sufficiently pure. So there's a political realignment occurring, occurring in this country, in my estimation. I believe the political center feels deeply underrepresented. You know, the bases are well represented in Congress, but uh, the center is not. And there are a lot of people who are very concerned uh, about where this is all going. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see. These, these strategies, too, by the way, I got to tell you, you know, running, you know, as close as you can to President Trump in a primary may be successful in a deep red district in South Carolina or Alabama. But good luck with that message in a general election in eastern Pennsylvania or New Jersey, where the House majority is resting. Come come uh, November, you know, we might be having a very different conversation if the House flips to the Democrats. David, I mean, the Republican Party was obviously initially hesitant to embrace then-candidate Trump because of all the the controversy he brings and, and also a lot of his positions. There's always been the question of whether he could ever go too far and, and they abandon him. Um, does that line still exist or is this now firmly the party of, of Trump, in your opinion? It is the party of Trump. There's no doubt. And you're right. Uh, the establishment of the Republican Party, members of Congress, were reluctant uh, at the outset to get on board. But voters pretty quickly, Republican primary voters, uh, got on board with Donald Trump uh, shortly after he got into the presidential race. Anderson, and your point about sort of the line, I, I mean, I've been on the show with you and we have talked about sort of is this latest uh, tweet from the president or this latest action going to be the thing that breaks the dam of the Republican support on Capitol Hill? And I I think Mark Sanford's loss last night is all the evidence we need to answer that question, which is, no, there's nothing that's going to break that dam. He is immensely popular with the Republican Party. There's no doubt about that. And the reason why Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell would rather uh, take their grievances, whichever they may have, uh, and work behind the scenes with the White House on that to try to bring the president back on course is because their own members don't want to take on the president directly because their jobs are at stake over that. That presents to them a real imminent political danger. And Mark Sanford felt that last night. Congressman, what do you say to Republican voters out there who are listening to this and say, well, look, why shouldn't Republicans support the president. I mean, why shouldn't they be 
uh, you know, backing the president in full force. He's he's got an agenda, which is certainly more in line with with Republican beliefs than than any Democrat who's who's going to come along. Um, And wouldn't Democrats want Democrats to support the Democratic president if if there was a Democrat in office? Well, what I would say to them is, uh, sure, we should support the Republican. uh, We should support the president when we agree with him. But when we disagree with him, it's okay to check him from time to time. If he goes off the rails, it's all right to call him out. You know, what just happened at the G7 and, you know, these attacks on the Canadian prime minister, I mean, for many of us as Republicans, you know, we believe strongly in the Western alliance. We support our brothers and sisters, our family members in Canada. I mean, we just think this is this is just out of line. How can we speak this way as a Republican? We criticized Barack Obama. Uh, for placating our enemies too often while dissing our friends, say, in the Czech Republic or Poland over missile defense. People forget that. And now President Trump is fighting with the Canadians, you know, the Germans. You know, he's fighting with a lot of our friends. And it's just, and you know, of course, being uh, conciliatory towards Putin and other autocrats uh, throughout the world. So the bottom line is you should think about one other thing, too. We were all talking about the Sanford race last night. But what happened in uh, Wisconsin, a special election and the re- for the state Senate and a Republican lost that seat that the president trump carried i think by over 20 points i mean that's what i'm looking at i'm looking at the fall i mean these these fights in deep red districts these are really that's a luxury for a lot of folks but if you want to keep Mm. a majority you've got to be able to fight in districts like the one i represented and many others what i would call across the big 10 conference that's where this majority is going to be won or lost and you just simply can't run by putting the bear hug on the president congressman dan i appreciate your time thanks david chalian as well up next night breaking news President Trump agreeing that Kim Jong-un has done some bad things, but adds, quote, a lot of other people have done some really bad things as well, talking about human rights. Also tonight, Michael Cohen, the president's personal lawyer, split with his own legal team. We'll take a look at what that may mean in terms of uh, whether or not he's going to cooperate with prosecutors. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. It's breaking news. President Trump talking about his meeting with North Korea's Kim Jong-un. Here's what he told Fox News uh, tonight when the dictator's track record on human rights abuses uh, came up. But him, he's still some, done some really bad things. Yeah, but so have a lot of other people done some really bad things. I mean, I could go through a lot of nations where a lot of bad things were done. Well, some have said that uh, that echoes his post-Charlottesville uh, comments when uh, he said that there were good people on both sides. That interview took place on Air Force One after the president left the Singapore summit. No question, a historic meeting, the first face-to-face session between a sitting president uh, and the leader of North Korea. But as we noted last night, the real work begins now. And today we got a sense of how sticky some of this uh, might be. First off, the joint statement issued by both sides contained no specifics about nuclear inspections, did contain a, an old refrain from the North Koreans that Kim Jong-un has a firm commitment to, quote, complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. In some slightly different language, the statement also says North Korea commits to, quote, work toward complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. That and the overall lack of detail left Secretary of State Mike Pompeo with some explaining to do when he 
landed in South Korea. Namely, how is the world going to know or verify Kim Jong-un is keeping his word to denuclearize? In an off-camera exchange with reporters, Pompeo said, and I quote, a lot has been made over the fact that the word verifiable didn't appear in the agreement. He said, though, it was in the, quote, minds of everyone concerned. That led to this testy exchange with a reporter about precise language. And I just want to go through a chunk of it line by line uh, because it's pretty remarkable. The reporter begins by asking, quote, I wanted to ask you about verifiable and irreversible. You said the day before you said it's our only objective. It's clear. We want that. It's not in the statement. Why it's not in the statement. And the president said it will. Pompeo replies, hmm, it's in the statement. It's in the statement. You're just wrong about that. The reporter said, how is it in the statement? Uh, And I am also Pompeo. You're just complete, encompasses verifiable and irreversible. It just, I suppose you could argue semantics, but let me assure you that it's in the document. The reporter then says, and the president says, it will be verified. They then talk over each other with Pompeo then saying, and I quote, just so you know, you could ask me this. I find that question insulting and ridiculous and frankly insulting. I just have to be honest with you. It's a game and one ought not to play games with serious matters like this. I think it's fair to say no one doubts these are serious matters. But to be clear, the words verifiable and irreversible are not in the joint statement. They just aren't. Asked about that in the Fox News interview, the president said he's, quote, totally confident the United States will obtain that. And if not, again, quoting, we can't have a deal. All of this is important because it's illustrative of the fine point that's going to have to be hammered out for both sides to get what they want. It's the hard work that's going to take uh, a while and then possibly the understatement of the evening You wouldn't know that by reading the president on Twitter, quote, just landed a long trip, but everybody can now feel much safer than uh, than the day I took office. The president tweeted, there is no longer nuclear threat from North Korea. Meeting with Kim Jong Un was an interesting and very positive experience. North Korea has great potential for the future. And moments later said before taking office, people were assuming we were going to war with North Korea. President Obama said that North Korea was our biggest and most dangerous problem no longer sleep well tonight. So in two tweets, it's basically the work is done. You're welcome. I'm joined now by Max Boot and Sumi Terry with a lot to uh, to unpack. Max, what's your reaction to, first of all, the president's comments on, on Kim Jong-un on, on human rights abuses, essentially saying, look, there's a lot of uh, other bad places. He later went on to say, you know, uh, yes, certainly. But he's really focused now uh, on, you know, now and moving forward. Well, it reminded me, Anderson, of the comments he has made repeatedly about Russia when he's been asked about human rights violations by Vladimir Putin. He said, well, you know, we kill a lot of people, too. I mean, this is the kind of moral relativism that Republicans and conservatives once criticized uh, when they when they uh, in the days of the Cold War, when liberals were not tough enough on the Soviet Union, their human rights abuses. Republicans are very critical of that. But Donald Trump is the ultimate moral relativist. He really does not care about the misbehavior of other countries. He's happy to give them a pass. And in fact, by every indication, he gets along better with dictators than he does with the leaders of our democratic allies. We've got to take a quick break. I want to come back. We're going to have more with Max and Dr. Terry. Also, I've got to take a quick break. Coming up more on North Korea verification uh, and obviously the devil being all in the details ahead. Remember, to create an ad like this one, Visit purewinning.com slash CNN. We're talking about the president's latest remarks on North Korea and human rights, along with everything else surrounding his meeting with Kim Jong-un. He's been uh, taking a victory lap today, saying there's no longer a nuclear threat from uh, Pyongyang. Backs with Max Boot and uh, Sumi Terry. Dr. Terry, the president did say that Kim Jong-un has done some, some terrible things when asked about this by Brett Baer. But he also said that, that Kim's a, a tough guy and a lot of other people have done really bad things. Do you see this as as... 
you know, as Max was referencing, a moral equivalence, which, which used to be, you know, very criticized Ab by Republicans? Ab absolutely. I mean, North Korea is the greatest human rights violator on the planet. United Nations Commission of Inquiry came out with a 400-page report talking about how there's no parallel in contemporary history uh, in terms of human rights violations. This is a country that keeps gulags with 200,000 people in them. Uh, this is it's the fact that President Trump did not even bring up, there's no evidence that he even brought up human rights issues uh, during his conversation with Kim Jong-un. I think it's a travesty. Max, for the president to say that there's no longer a nuclear threat from, from North Korea after just getting back from the summit, I mean, he didn't say that in the Brett Baer interview, but he did then, which was done on Wednesday, earlier when, you know, when he left uh, Singapore, uh, sorry, I guess on Tuesday. I mean, it's a little early to be declaring that, isn't it? It's crazy, Anderson. I mean, the nuclear threat from North Korea is completely unchanged from the day before the summit. North Korea has not given up a single warhead. They have not given up a single missile. Uh, but tr this is kind of part of Trump's M.O. He's figured out he doesn't actually have to achieve policy victories. He can just claim credit for policy victories. And a lot of his followers will believe him. I mean, not I mean, he's been claiming that he's already building the wall border wall with Mexico, which is not true. Just last week, he was claiming that Iran had already radically changed its behavior after he pulled out of the Iran nuclear accord. That's not true. And now he's claiming that he's already into the North Korean nuclear threat, which is also not true. But if you turn to the other network, to Fox News, you know, kind of the state propagandists like uh, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingraham, they are echoing uh, what Trump is saying word for word. And I bet by next week, Republican voters will believe that the North Korean nuclear threat is over. Dr. Terry, obviously, look, things haven't worked in the past where the president tried. Uh, it, you know, it has, has certainly never been done before. Uh, may end up having results. But in terms of the joint statement that was put out uh, by both leaders, um, you were certainly underwhelmed by, uh, by, by what was actually in that joint statement compared to even past agreements that, that has ended up being broken by North Korea. Anderson, I had very low expectation, to be honest with you, but I was really floored by the statement when I actually read it. It was this bunch of verbiage and that one sentence, point number three, where North Korea commits to working towards the nuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. I mean, this is old familiar language going back to 1992 joint North Korea and South Korea statement. And we honestly got more out of North Korea in the past. In the 2005 six-party talks joint statement, we North Korea committed to abandoning all of their nuclear weapons program. So the fact that President Trump even couldn't get even that language out of North Korea this time around, um, I think this was, you know, for the greatest negotiator on the planet, uh, this was really, I, I was very underwhelmed. I think that's an understatement to say I was underwhelmed. Max, I mean, that language working toward denuclearization, I'm not sure what that actually means. It doesn't mean anything, Anderson. I mean, as I've said before, I mean, I'm working towards beating Roger Federer at Wimbledon. That doesn't mean I'm ever going to achieve it. it it's, it's a meaningless goal. And let's keep in mind that in return for basically getting nothing from, from North Korea, President Trump made significant concessions, including stopping the uh, U.S.-South Korea military exercises, which he referred to as provocative war games, echoing the propaganda language of Pyongyang. I mean, this is going to undermine the U.S.-South Korea alliance, especially because he didn't bother to tell the South Koreans before he did this. And by the way, his tweet today in which he's saying that the North Korean nuclear threat no longer exists, that's going to undermine sanctions, because why would countries want to stop doing business with North Korea if North Korea no longer 
poses a threat. And that's what the president of the United States is saying. So, you know, this is a, a hugely one-sided outcome in which North Korea is getting everything it wanted and the United States is getting pretty much nothing. Dr. Terry, do you think this has legitimized the North Korean regime in a way that, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un's father and grandfather never were able to, never was, you know, able to achieve? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Kim Jong-un was able to achieve something that his father and grandfather had sought, uh, but they couldn't achieve. He got to sit down with the most powerful man in the world, with the U.S. president, um, gave him prestige, gave him international standing, gave him legitimacy. And in return, what did we get? We got North Korea working towards uh, denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And as Max just pointed out, and in return, it's not like we're going to give anything. In addition to giving legitimacy, we then talked about stopping exercise. And again, as Max said, and, and using North Korea's own rhetoric, uh, calling it provocative, calling it war games, instead of saying these are defensive in nature and these are training that we're doing because of the North Korean threat. So here, North Korea, Korea uh, got everything, I think, and we didn't really get anything in return. Uh, Dr. Terry, appreciate your time. Max Boot uh, as well. Coming up, the latest on uh, President Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen and the news that he's dumping his current legal team. There are a lot of questions, of course, whether that means he may start cooperating with prosecutors. That and the breaking news on the president's standoff with Robert Mueller in a moment. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. There's breaking news tonight on President Trump's legal sparring with Robert Mueller and news on Michael Cohen as well. According to a source familiar with his thinking, Michael Cohen is preparing to be indicted. He's ditching his legal team and spent the day meeting with possible replacements. The question being, is it with an eye toward uh, flipping? These are not the lawyers in question, by the way, just some... Uh, some uh, friends of his who he was smoking cigars uh, with while his lawyers were in court. CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger joins us now with uh, the breaking news and the latest as well on Michael Cohen. So first of all, Gloria, the president's mindset seems to have already shifted back toward the Mueller investigation. What are you learning? Well, my colleague Dana Bash and I are reporting that as the president was wending his way back from uh, Singapore, he made calls to his attorneys to find out what was going on in terms of the negotiations uh, with Bob Mueller. We've learned that his attorneys are here in Washington right now. They intend to meet with the president at some point this week, and they expect to meet uh, with the special counsel's team uh, shortly after that. And the big question on the table, Anderson, of course, is will the president be subpoenaed or will the legal team and Mueller's team be able to find a way to hone the questions down for the president so they can cut some kind of a deal about the president being interviewed? Rudy Giuliani has obviously been the most probably visible right. member of the president's legal team. Is it clear what exactly he, he is advising at this point in terms of sitting down with Mueller? You know, it really isn't because he's kind of gone back and forth. I mean, we've heard Giuliani in the past say that the president is being framed and that he might not advise him to testify because, as he put it, recollections keep changing. But he spoke with Dana Bash and he said to her that our job is to figure out a way that he can testify. I mean, don't forget, uh, most of the lawyers uh, on the president's side believe that are very skeptical about him testifying. They believe it wouldn't be a great idea. 
But they do have a client who has expressed interest in testifying. So they're trying to figure out how to how to get around that or how to come up with some kind of a negotiated deal. Also, the news today on the Michael Cohen front is pretty stunning that he's changing his his own legal team. Do we know right. exactly why and what what it uh, what it may mean? Well, he's changing his legal team for a couple of reasons. One is uh, we're told that he wants uh, to switch to an attorney or maybe more than one attorney who is familiar with the Southern District of New York, where he potentially faces criminal indictment. Money is also an issue. He's had a large team of lawyers from an expensive law firm dealing with, you know, this document production, and that's cost him a lot of money. So he may want to pare that down. I mean, I think the question that's out there and that we don't know the answer to, Anderson, is whether this means that there's also going to be a shift in strategy. Uh, we don't know that uh, Michael Cohn is preparing to flip or to cooperate with prosecutors. But you have to think that that is a you know, something that could potentially happen, given the fact that he is facing potential indictment and that, um, you know, he's got to be thinking about that. But at this point, we are told that he has not met with prosecutors and the prosecutors have not indicated an interest in uh, in having him flip. So we have to wait and see how this plays out once he gets his uh, new lawyer or lawyers in place. All right, Gloria, appreciate it. Thanks. Coming sure. up next, we're going to seek our, uh, our own counsel, Alan Dershowitz and Jeff Tubin, join us to talk about the, the latest uh, with Michael Cohen. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, the full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Gloria Borger delivered the breaking news in our last segment on Michael Cohen's search for new attorneys and the president getting back to dealing with the Russia probe, as well as Robert Mueller. Here to talk about it is Harvard Law School's uh, Alan Dershowitz. He's the author of The Case Against Impeaching Trump. Also, uh, his apt pupil, CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin joins us as well. Professor Dershowitz, I'm wondering what you make of Michael Cohen uh, looking for a new legal team. Uh, you know, there's various reports. It could be about money, about wanting lawyers who are more familiar with the Southern District or some sort of change in strategy. Well, I see them all working together. Um, if you are worried about paying too much in legal fees, it's much cheaper to cooperate than to litigate. If you want a lawyer who's closer and more familiar with the Southern District, that's also a likelihood that you want somebody who is admired and respected in the Southern District who can make a deal with you. Otherwise, you just add, if you're going to litigate in the Southern District, you just add a lawyer uh, to the team. I think the real problem is that he can't cooperate as much as he'd like to because he can't disclose anything that's lawyer-client privilege. He can disclose things that are outside the lawyer-client privilege that may be within the fraud exception to the lawyer-client privilege, but he can't just walk in and say, let me tell you everything I know about my former client, Donald Trump. The U.S. Attorney's Office would not ethically be able to accept that kind of information. But I think this looks to me like it's moving in the direction of cooperation and a flip witness. Jeff, do you agree with that? I mean, is it a sign of, of cooperation, perhaps? Well, I, I think it's worth remembering in the big picture here that you know, 
90 percent, roughly, of the people who are indicted in federal court wind up pleading guilty. And, and so if he's indicted, chances are he'll plead guilty and, and, and then he'll cooperate. I tend to think the, the risk of attorney-client privilege uh, in his cooperation is, is much less. In the documents that have been turned over, the, not just documents, but emails and, and phone messages, apparently there are very few privileged communications. The president himself has said that uh, Cohn represented him very little. For the most part, he was doing business deals for Trump, which were not uh, lawyer-client in, in the nature of the relationship. So if he wants to cooperate, he can cooperate. I'm sure you know, there will be some issues around the margins, but... Uh, you know, if, if, if he wants to uh, make a deal and get himself out of a serious prison, prison sentence, that option, I suspect, will be available to him. Yeah, Professor Dershowitz, isn't it hard for Michael Cohen to argue executive privilege when, A, as Jeffrey said, I mean, the president sort of undercut that argument. And, and also, uh, also, Jeffrey pointed out, I think it was some about 160 or, or so, roughly, uh, of the documents, of all the documents that were taken uh, so far have been viewed as privileged. Well, what we're talking about is largely oral communication. And when you are making deals for the president, there are legal aspects to the deals and non-legal aspects. Many law firms do mergers and acquisitions and deals. I'm not suggesting that there can't be potential cooperation. I think there could be. All I am suggesting is that it can't be as fulsome as it often is when they flip a co-conspirator or somebody who's committed a crime together with the uh, the person who's flipping. So I think, I think yes, they can get useful information. But we don't know whether he's flipping or not. I suspect that he's sending messages to both sides, that he's sending a message to the prosecutors that I'm available to flip and sending a message to the president that I'm available to be pardoned. And there's now a struggle for the heart, soul, and testimony of Michael Cohen that will be ongoing. We may learn yeah. soon, depending on which lawyer he hires, because there are lawyers that practice in New York that I have called prosecutors and defense attorneys clothing. They really work for the prosecutor. They only do flip witnesses. They're often recommended by prosecutors. And it's the kind of lawyer you go to when you want to send a signal that you're ready to cooperate. If he hires one of those lawyers, we'll be able to decode that message fairly quickly. On the other hand, if he hires a real tiger litigator, we may be able to decipher a slightly different message. I, I also think we may be jumping the gun a little bit. I mean, we're talking about, you know, will, will he cooperate? Will he plead? He hasn't even been charged with anything yet. I mean, it, 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 and we That's don't know what crime he's been investigated, you know, he's been investigated for. Now, we do know that, that the, the Southern District got a search warrant and uh, you don't get a search warrant for a lawyer's office, especially the president's lawyer's office, unless you have pretty good evidence. But I couldn't sit here and tell you today uh, what crime he's going to be charged with. And I think that uh, is, is obviously a very important part of the uh, I, question of no, whether, he's, I, whether he cooperates. I don't agree. I think that every prudent lawyer facing what Cohn is facing would have to operate under the assumption that he will be indicted for a serious crime that carries a long prison term. The nature of the crime doesn't matter as much as the fact that he will be indicted. So I think any lawyer has to assume an indictment based on what Jeffrey has said. You don't search lawyers' offices unless you're ready to indict. Now, what he gets indicted for, you know, taxing medallions, who knows? Uh, the most interesting thing is if he were indicted for something that related directly to 
of President Trump, but there's no indication that that's in the offing. But I do think that any lawyer should assume who takes the case that he's representing a client who will either be indicted or will cooperate. And, and Jeff, just in terms of the, the idea of sending a, a message to the president, uh, kind of hoping for, for some sort of a pardon, again, we don't know uh, if he's going to be charged or what he would be charged with. But you've been very uh, kind of negative on the notion, you know, some people have kind of pointed to, well, the state's attorney could bring charges against Michael Cohen, even if Michael Cohen is pardoned. You think that's unlikely? I, I think it's very unlikely. You know, the attorney general of New York is not set up as a criminal prosecutor's office. They don't have the resources. They don't have the laws. They, they don't have the experience uh, to bring cases like that. But I think it's also worth pausing to think how grotesque an idea it is that the president might pardon Michael Cohen. I mean, what, what is the public interest in pardoning Michael Cohen? Is he some victim of, uh, is he a deserving person? Pardoning Michael Cohen would be solely an act of self-preservation on the part of, of mm -hmm. the president. And the very idea that we're even thinking about that is, is really shocking to me. And it's mm. an example of how much our sort of discourse is degraded, I, that that's even this, a possibility. I disagree with that, but it would not be a crime for him to pardon. He can pardon any person for yeah. any reason without regard to the motive, but I think he would pay a very heavy and should pay a very heavy political price if he does do that, because I agree with Jeffrey, it would be entirely self-serving. Professor Dershowitz, Jeff Tubin, thanks very much. Up next, in a world where diplomacy comes with a promotional video, the world can't help but react. The Ridiculous is next. Also, programming note, tune in uh, next week for Champions for Change when CNN uh, anchors uh, bring you profiles of individuals and organizations who are making an extraordinary difference in people's lives. Take a look. All next week, a special CNN series. Our anchors profile champions for change. We travel the globe telling stories of change makers. This time, we're joining their mission to make a difference. Giving time to the causes that are dear to our hearts. And sharing the stories of the champions leading the charge. It was for a great cause. That's motivating. You have to help them in a way that lets them see this is not how your life has to be. This is an opportunity to pay it forward to do something that is going to be meaningful. They are the kinds of students any community would be blessed to have. It just warms your heart that you can help someone with food. Rock on. Join the journalists of CNN as we work alongside Champions for Change. All next week. Presented by Charles Schwab. So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting. And now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com. And when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast. Just one word. And get a 15% discount. It's that simple. That's store.cnn.com. Time now for The Ridiculous, and tonight there's plenty of reaction to the movie trailer-esque video that the president showed Kim Jong-un on an iPad during their meeting in Singapore. The video also was projected on a big screen for reporters, some of whom wondered if it was actually North Korean propaganda. It wasn't. It was actually real. In case you haven't watched it yet, here are just a few of the highlights. Destiny Pictures presents A Story of Opportunity. 
A story about a special moment in time when a man is presented with one chance that may never be repeated. A new world can begin today. One of friendship, respect, and goodwill. Featuring President Donald Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un. Now, let me just preface this by saying maybe this will work. I mean, frankly, nothing else has for, for decades. Maybe this will. Maybe a fake movie trailer is just the kind of thing that will speak to North Korea's dictator and achieve peace in the region. Anything is possible, right? It has made some people wonder what kind of video Kim Jong-un might have shown the president if he was so inclined. One of those people, Conan O'Brien. A world where Donald Trump is immortalized in North Korea and Kim Jong-un is embraced as America's greatest son. And now we are very pleased and honored to present to the United States of America montage of fireworks and cheeseburgers. Fireworks and cheeseburgers. Uh, Meanwhile, the New York Times opinion video team did a little makeover on the original trailer, adding some commentary. What if we've been overthinking foreign policy all along and what the world really needed was a movie trailer? No, really, this actually happened from the administration who tanked the Iran nuclear deal, which eliminated 98% of Iran's enriched uranium, comes an epic mashup of stock footage, like these horses running through water, this guy dunking, and this girl in a field. Of course, Stephen Colbert really got down to the the heart of the matter, the essence of the trailer, if you will. Will you shake the hand of peace? Will you massage the ankles of history? Will you slam dunk the ball of destiny? And how many sun rises will it take? Starring Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. With a special appearance by Dolph Lundgren. In the summit of all fears, Mission Kim Possible 2, Singapore Drift. Again, these are interesting times we live in. These kind of videos have worked for Hollywood. They work for commercials and corporate training. Maybe it'll work. But for all his railing against so-called fake news, clearly the president has no such distaste for fake movie trailers on The Ridiculous. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show, spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O, wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier.
Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.